Good morning, church. Welcome to LJCC. We are so glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to get started with some worship, so let's all stand.
darkness to shine and out of the ashes we rise there's no Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. We worship you, we bow down before you, you, the maker of heaven and earth, the moon, the stars, us. We are filled with wonder at the magnificence of your creation. Lord, we all fall short and humbly ask you to forgive us our missteps, poor choices, wrong turns around our life journey. We thank you that by the blood of your son, Jesus Christ, we are washed clean and able to stand blameless and holy in your presence. 
as you redeem, renew, and restore us into right relationship with you. Our hearts are filled with gratitude, Lord, for the multitude of blessings you pour down upon us. We thank you. We are free to worship as a community in order to grow in Christ. We thank you for our homes, our family, our friends. And even when we don't understand the what or why of what is going on in the world, we thank you for strengthening us with your power and glorious might so that we might stand strong in our faith. As always, Lord, we pray for our world, our country, our leaders, and each other. Grant our leaders wisdom and discernment in an ever-changing world full of turmoil and distress. And we lift up the needs of this community of believers, Lord, and ask you to lay your hand upon us and continually continue to richly bless us. And now, Lord, open our hearts, our ears, our minds, as Steve teaches about living intentionally for you. Grant us wisdom and discernment through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we will never take for granted the wonders of your works. As always, Lord, we thank you for all of it and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. My name is Laura Georgiakakis. I'm a member of La Jolla Community Church, and I'm also the teaching director of the Community Bible Study class that meets every Thursday. This year we'll be studying the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers in a study called From the Red Sea to the Jordan River. And it's the story of how God leads us out of captivity and through the wilderness and into his promised land. I hope the women of La Jolla Community Church will consider joining us. We'll meet Thursdays from 10 to 12, beginning September 15th. We have both Zoom groups and in-person groups, and we have an evening group if you work during the day that meets from 6.30 to 7.30 on Zoom also. This is a great opportunity for us to draw closer to God, to get to know Him better, which is the purpose for which He gives us His Word, and also to draw closer to one another and to get to know each other better. We have a postcard that gives you all the information you need about how to register, when and where we meet, and who to contact for more information on this uh, study. But don't hesitate to grab me also if you have any questions. We'd love you to join us. We meet through the school year from September to May, and it's a great chance for us to draw nearer to our God. And welcome to La Jolla Community Church. We're so glad you're here with us this morning to worship God. Um, whether you're here in the sanctuary or in the Welcome Center or on the patio, joining us online or watching this later in the week, we're just so thankful you're here with us. Um, we're a church that believes in the power of prayer. So when you walked in, you got a bulletin. And um, uh, in the bottom um, on one side of that is a prayer request card. So you could write down something you're going through that's hard, something you want to thank God for, and we just want to um, join you in prayer. And we hold these in confidence, and we don't, you know, bandy them about or anything, you know. So um, just uh, we pray for them, though, each week, and um, it's a, a, you know, a great way just to come together as a community with whatever needs you have or, or um, things that have gone really well and you want to thank God. And then on the back side, there's a connect card if you're new, if your email address has changed, if you got a new phone number, or if you just want to tell us something, you know, I wish there was a class for this, or, um, you know, I would really join this kind of group, you know. Um, you could write anything on there, and we read all of those and, and follow up with them as best we can. Um, you know, we can't fill every need, but we sure can try, and we can't try if we don't know about it. So um, be sure to write it down and tell us. And then on the top, you heard about um, a community Bible study for, for women this fall, so um, take that home. Th this rips apart. It's really slick. Um, just one fold and a clean line right there. And you can um, uh, use this. If you're not going to come, you can invite a neighbor, tell a friend about it. Um, and that's a, a, just a great thing to do. So thanks for being here, and let's continue worshiping the Lord. Thank you, Drake. Uh, wow, I want to add a pitch about community Bible study. Uh, <clears throat> that started 20 years ago? Yeah. And uh, there was a vision for having a community Bible study, and we were praying about it and saying, okay, gosh, so many moving parts, and who's going to teach it? And we ended up having um, a, a couple's retreat and just randomly ended up eating lunch with a couple. And as we started talking, and this, this woman was reflecting on what she was trying to figure out what God was calling her to do, 
And as she's describing it, I'm looking at Janet, and Janet's looking at me, and we're laughing, not laughing out loud, we're just smiling and leaning in, and she's like, what? I said, you're describing the new leader of community Bible study. She goes, who? I said, you. You could be the new, you should be, you've just described, uh, and, and starting with Mary Rumsey, we've had this fantastic run of amazing, and I, I don't mean to overuse that word, but people who are so articulate and organized and passionate about their faith, these women of God uh, uh, leading. It's just been, you know, Mary Rumsey, Stina Grimm, and oh my gosh, Laura Georgia Caucus. The names just get better, don't they? I mean, uh, uh, Laura Georgia Caucus, that sounds like a New Testament person coming right into your presence. Um, yeah, Costa, her husband, is from Greece, and so, um, and you know, you like the new technique we're using? We were watching these old kung fu movies. We were trying to figure out how they do that, where they get the, they get the synchronous of the speaking and the lips moving differently, and we finally, we've mastered it here, so we're working on all kinds of technological things as well. Uh, please do not miss the opportunity to do community Bible study. I cannot emphasize enough, and it's, it ties in with what we're talking about today, uh, how, how important that is. And there's men's community Bible study, uh, and there's all kinds of ways to get access to God's Word. Without that, uh, we're in a world of hurt, and it doesn't get better. I hope you're enjoying the summer. Uh, the summer has flown by, and uh, normally uh, by this time of summer, I would have liked to have been out uh, on my longboard in about a 20-foot wave day, and as I'm, as I'm coming in, I'll just take Janet and put her on my shoulders, and it's just the best kind of, it's just a kind of a distinctive moment in the summer. Uh, that hasn't happened yet and, and possibly will never happen, but it's, it's just great to think about uh, those kinds of miracles. Um, we were up in uh, uh, Orange County uh, last week, and uh, our, one of our nieces uh, and her husband, who were married in August, this time last year, uh, gave birth to their, their first baby. And it was so exciting, and these are very uh, fun, fun people, but they're also very analytical people. And uh, uh, they, their jobs are very analytical, and, you know, and, and, and yet, to hear them talk about this new baby, there was, the, there was no analysis whatsoever. It was nothing but uh, the most wonderful version of gushing about how awesome this was. And in, in a text later, um, uh, Kristen wrote this, we are smitten. Now, this is, you've got to understand, this is uh, now Tuesday. We're two days into it. We are smitten. He's pretty perfect to us. I totally get why parents are the way they are. This, this gives parents such relief to know that at some point a child might or say, now I understand you. Uh, you thought the world you know, went around me when I was born and, and, and you haven't gotten over it. That's why you continue to embarrass me about how awesome I am and telling everybody, uh, yes, exactly. She says, every day is a huge learning curve, but we're surviving. Now, this is two days into it. <laughs> surviving. Well, I've been two days. It's awesome. <laughs> keep it up. Keep it, keep it going. You're on a roll. You've got momentum. And she said, it's just been so special to be with him, finally. Amazing. I was carrying this little being for the last nine months, and now we get to see him. Yes, he's the cutest little guy. And so, you know, she describes it as a learning curve. She's on a loving curve, right? And she is so filled with wonder. And as she, uh, they, they live in a little, uh, little house on uh, Babel Island, and uh, it's idyllic, you know, and they're, gonna, they're in their early 30s, and, and they're just going to both wander around the house just looking at the baby. And they're going to wander off and come back and wonder about the baby. And this wandering and wondering thing goes on forever. At some point, the wondering kind of takes a, I wonder when they're going to leave for college mode. But at some point, you know, it's all about that so, being so intensely engaged. And, and, and as you know, uh, it goes by so fast. And I was, as I was reflecting on, on them, this wonderful young couple, um, I thought of a movie, a short, one of my favorite short films. Uh, won all kinds of awards. Uh, this is like in the, the mid-80s this came out. Based on a true story, uh, the filmmaker didn't know he was going to make this film, but was in San Antonio uh, at an estate sale for a famous architect named Atlee Ayers. Do you know the name Atlee Ayers? 
uh, Laura grew up in San Antonio. Uh, Atlee Ayers was this famous Texas architect, had this massive estate. And so this director's walking through it and sees all these artifacts and seeing people going through pictures that the family's left behind and you know, et cetera, et cetera, and has this like, ah, oh, I, I want to I make a movie about this. So the, the, the little film, the 40-minute film, is, is not about that family, but it's, it's based on that experience. <clears throat> and so the setup is there's this beautiful, at that estate, the filmmaker used that estate, and uh, there's people coming through looking at all the stuff, and two women are shopping through and trying on dresses and, and seeing things, and you like this. And at one point... Um, at some point, you get these little interspersions of, of, the, of the life of the family. So they pick up an artifact, and all of a sudden, it'll go to some moment in that family's life. And you get to see the arc of their life and how their life was racing by them. And it was just out of their reach. And they're trying to figure out how to slow it down and to focus. And the, the dad is just so ambitious for his career. And the mom's saying, I'm so busy. And, uh, and, and it's, it, you just see what they're up against. And so at some point, uh, the women are separate, and, and uh, one of the women is in this room just thinking about all this, reflecting on all that she's seen as she's been wandering around and wondering about this family. And she looks over, and there's this older woman sitting in a window seat, holding some of the mementos, and looking at some of the pictures. And she says, oh, I'm excited. I didn't mean to disturb you. And, and then she, she catches herself. She realizes it's the lady who died a month ago whose home they're in, right? So this is this... Shakespearean ghost kind of a thing, you know, added to the moment. And, and the lady said, oh, no, 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 no. I was just reflecting on my life. And she starts to talk about her life. And so some of the dialogue goes on. It just it draws you in, right? And so at one point she says, I saw it all very clearly the other night. I looked out and I saw the stars, millions of stars, a flood of stars across the domed sky, stars Abraham counted, Stars Christ slept beneath, and stars my ancestors, wished, my ancestors wished upon. I saw why I was and how I had failed. I cried and cried when I looked at those stars. I thought of all the mothers who had rocked their babies underneath those same stars. My mother, your mother, her mother. And now this woman is riveted. The young woman is riveted, and she's listening to this older woman speaking. You see, they kept the flame alive. We never said no to our children, and they never learned to say no to themselves. And she's not bitter. She's just gone, oh, I wish we could have gotten it a little bit better because she's looking at all these pictures that have been left behind. And now they don't care in a world that celebrates not caring. Tell me, young lady, do you have any children? And out of this reverie, uh, the young woman says, Wondering if she's supposed to be speaking. Am I imagining this? Or is this actually happening? She says, I have a little girl. Ah, a little girl. And the old lady says, a family is a caretaker of the soul of man. That's what I saw. And that's what I believe. Each generation gives love to the next. The gift of belief, right, wrong, good, and evil. Please, don't forget that. Now she's, you know, she's projecting at this point, right? Her life is now behind her. And, and she's looking at this young woman who has a little girl, and she just knows what she's up against. She's saying, please don't forget this. Don't forget this. You know, one of the most annoying things about being a young couple, this movie came out, um, like I said, in the mid-'80s, and it was before we had kids, and by the time I saw it, it was just the year we had our first child. And I watched this movie, and it's one of these movies all guys hate to watch. Guys do not like these movies because this is like being emotionally mugged. And the problem is, it's, it's true. What you're being mugged about is true. It's, it evokes all these deep feelings in you. Uh, and I, you know, I remember people saying to Janet and me, you know, it's going to go by so fast. It's going to go by so fast. It's the adult equivalent of the annoying thing we see to children. You know, you've gotten so tall. He goes, yeah, no kidding. You know, I hope so. And I find myself saying, you know, it's going to go by so fast. And, and and, uh, and all the young couples now just, you know, you know, patronize me like I did other older couples. Oh, yeah, I, I'm sure it will, you know. But you had it, you know, we've figured it out. We'll get it right. We're paying attention. 
So the young woman says to the old woman, because she sees the heaviness of this, she says, I'm sure you loved your children. The old lady says, oh, yes, dear, I loved them. But I rushed through our life. Charlie, too. The children were grown before he even knew what happened. I just want to live one day over again. An ordinary day, a day with my children little again. With problems and washing and cooking and cleaning, I would love to do all the things I used to complain about. Just one day. I have so much to tell them. And just then her friend walks into the room. She said, oh, here you are. And, and the woman kind of turns and looks at her and then looks back and of course there's nobody in the room. And her friend says, what are you doing? And she said, um, just thinking, just thinking. Uh, and then later she goes out and calls her mom. And just wants to tell her how much she loves her and wants to thank her. It's a powerful, powerful picture. Uh, at the right time, I'm going to send it to my niece and her husband. Uh, <laughs> it's so heavy, it's so light, and it's inspiring. 40 minutes, and you're going, that was so good, I needed that. Uh, but I give them some time. Uh, because right now, it's, it's perfect. It couldn't be any more perfect, right? And they're just barely surviving after all. So I don't want to you know, tip the balance there. But this summer, our theme has been the God of wonders. And we've been reflecting on all those wonders, both in, in the worship context, but then in conversations, this thing that we've been doing for 45 minutes after we, we, you know, we worship, we have a little brunch. Um, we come back, we, we've been using, uh, since January, we've been using the Bible Project videos, which are brilliant. This summer, we, we've shifted, and we've been focusing specifically on, on the God of wonders as it relates to creation. We've been using BioLogos videos and some Bible Project videos. And the, if you've been a part of it, we've had about 80 people overall be a part of this thing. And, and, and basically, we show a brief video, and then in small groups, we talk about it for 10 minutes and said, okay, time's up. Here's another video. Let's have at it. And so today's our last one, actually, for the summer. Uh, we'll watch you know, one more six-minute video and then reflect on it. But we've been reflecting on this idea that what does it mean to call God the God of wonders? And, and the whole scientific process of understanding the, the, the mechanics, the mechanism, the technologies and the techniques of how we got this world. But all, all of it saying it's, it's because God has a purpose for it. And, and talking to my niece and her husband, uh, and by the way, they had come down uh, from Orange County the week prior to, to have dinner with us just to have one more time to talk about it. It was so, so fun re reliving all those kinds of things with them. And, and, and reinforcing on them, you know, it's are you paying attention to what God is doing in your life? Are you sorting that out? And who are you going to let help you sort that out? And uh, the world is going to give us so much content. Um, uh, her, her husband uh, was, was at a, a, a weekend with a bunch of older guys, a bunch of very influential guys. It's called Bohemian Grove up uh, north of San Francisco. And his family's been involved in that a long time. I said, you know, Bohemian Grove, is nothing but inspiring. It's this exclusive thing, world leaders, national leaders, all these people from every walk of life coming together for these, these experiences. Just a bunch of nerds camping out, basically, under the Redwoods. But then the content of that is, is good and inspiring. Henry Kissinger spoke at the weekend uh, that this guy was at. I said, but at the end of the day, what have they told you that has eternal consequences? Capture that. That's the God of wonders that we're paying attention to. And, and today our focus is, you know, um, uh, wandering and wondering. As we move through life, are we doing it in a way that we, we we're paying attention to what God is doing? Because all those other wonderful human ideas are fantastic in their own way. They all have their own place. Nothing wrong with the Bohemian Grove. Uh, but what I would love to think is there's a bunch of people who know Jesus who go to Bohemian Grove and do all the silly, fun, crazy things that they do at, at Bohemian Grove. But at the end of the day, they're not worshiping a you know, 20-foot owl or talking about gods and goddesses. They're talking about the God who transforms us and allows us to understand that he made these redwoods. He gave us the capacity for frivolity, for celebration, and for deep thinking and reflection. So God created us in his image and breathed the gift of life into us and told us something. He told us to rule his creation. This is where this all goes. 
it'd be great to say to all those leaders that, and I'm not in any way criticizing Bohemian Grove. Uh, it, it, these people go out and they run the world. Literally, they run the world. And, 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 and what I'd like to say is, you guys, um, do you understand that you're running a very small version of the world? You're, you're, the version of the world you're running is absolutely essential. Government, you know, politics, business, medicine, technology. But do you understand that you're, you're, what you're really called to do is be part of God's project in the world, in the sphere that he's given you any kind of authority in and access to? See, God has given us permission to wander and wonder, exploring and engaging his creation. Now, the world is doing that. They're engaging creation. And yet the problem is, if you don't have the full context, this old lady sitting in her estate realizing, I missed it. I didn't mean to miss it. I did everything right according to the norms, but we somehow missed it. And this young woman saying, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss it either. And it's not good intentions alone. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. I want to get it right. I'm going to try my best. But without God showing us what it means to be bearing his image, it's just always out of reach. It's just always out of reach. So God's given us this permission. He's, he's commanded us to do this. He's given us the creative capacity to do this, to bear his image. But to bear his image, as, we, it was, as we've been talking about, isn't just, I think I can be creative. Uh, no, all those are parts of the preparation for actually bearing his image. Bearing his image is the actual engagement with his creation. Are you making time to wander and wonder? One of my favorite quotes is from Tolkien. Not all those who wander are lost. Not all those who wander are lost. Wandering around lost is a different thing than wandering and saying, what do I see? What does it mean? What's it connected to? What's going on right here, right here, this little plot of land? Uh, I used to work for this out, uh, mountaineering outfit. We would take people to these really exotic, beautiful places, uh, alpine environments, and just stunning, stunning places. And they would say, this is fantastic. And during the, say, 10-day or 16-day trip, we'd say, hey, you're going to spend a day on your own in a beautiful spot. We'll find you a beautiful spot, access to water, but you won't be able to see anybody else. And for 24 hours, you're on your own, and you can't leave that area. And we're like, what am I supposed to do? Well, all you have to do is pay attention. Ooh, to what? Uh, to whatever you're thinking and feeling, to the ground you're sitting on, and just go for it. And nobody wanted to do it. It was like, this is horrible. I didn't sign up for this. Right, that's okay. You're doing it. It's too late not to sign up for it because you don't know how to get out of here. And so, you know, you're not going to be uncomfortable. This is it. And of course, at the end of that, we, we collect them the next morning and bring them together and say, so what happened? Oh, my gosh. She said, that was the greatest thing I've ever done. And, and we're going to touch on that again in a moment. But the idea is those who wander uh, are not lost unless they are. <laughs> and then it's just wandering. I have no idea. I don't know what it means. I don't really care. I just want to get out of here. Uh, another one of my all-time favorite quotes, you've heard me uh, quote this, from, this one from T.S. Eliot, a line from a, a group of poems called the Four Quartets. This one's called Little Gidding. And he says this, we shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time. We're made for this, right? We are made for adventure, men and women. And we're made for exploring. But really, at the end of it, we come back to where we started, and finally we go, oh, yeah, this is what, okay, this sort of makes sense to me. I'm starting to understand the town that I desperately tried to get out of after I got out of high school and swore never to come back to. And now I'm thinking, wouldn't it be great to live here full time, right? Is that kind of a moment? Maybe you've had that. So wandering is about exploration. It's about seeing and understanding the wonders of God. Exploration prompts us to feel wonder about the world in us and around us by focusing on it. It's focusing that we need to do. We see, but we don't focus. We hear, but we don't really listen. Jesus said, had something to say about that. So wonder is a feeling of awe mingled with admiration, prompted by something beautiful or unexpected, unfamiliar, inexplicable. It's being curious and wanting to know more about it. Every scientist 
uh, is gifted with wonder. Every five-year-old is gifted with wonder. Every human being has it and at some point misplaces it. But you don't have to. The, the defining characteristic of childhood is wonder. The defining characteristic of adolescence and young adulthood is affirmation. Do I have what it takes? The defining characteristic of adulthood in all of its stages is purpose. And when your purpose and your sense of, of affirmation and validation is attached to wonder, wow, powerful. So wandering and wondering aren't primarily about novelty. Ooh, is that new? We crave novelty. But it's about seeing everything. It's about living consciously and intentionally. You want to be a good father? Live intentionally. You want to be a good husband, a good wife? You want to be a good grandparent? You want to be a good leader? Become intentional about that. Do it on purpose. Focus on what it looks like in you and in the context that you're in. And ask yourself the question, you know, um, am I living on purpose with a purpose? Is it my purpose that I get to bring or do I have to work under somebody else's purpose? I should clarify that because if we're at cross purposes, it won't go well. You know, think about golf. Or maybe not. Well, I get depressed this early in the day, you know. But the old, the old saying goes, you know, practice makes perfect. Uh, no. Practice does not make perfect. Ask any golf coach. I hit a thousand balls yesterday. Yeah, too bad you hit them all wrong. Uh, practice that is proper and, 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 and makes sense will make you better. And so what does the golf, the golf coach or tennis coach or any kind of coach do? They help you align your body. They help you understand what you're trying to do, move your weight. And all of a sudden, they explain the physics. And then eventually, the art and the poetry of it come together with you. And then practice makes a lot of sense because you're practicing, not just trying to do something, you're training to do something. And so really, this idea of living consciously and intentionally on purpose for a purpose as we wander and wonder is not taking anything for granted or letting familiarity obscure the wonders of God's works. How easy it is to be obsessed with that baby one minute and then not even paying attention to the baby the next. Hey, hi, I'm busy. I really know I can't... You know how that goes as a parent. That person you said, if I could only get a date with her. I wish I had the time to tell you about a friend of mine who, as he was trying to date his wife, did everything wrong. He knew her pretty well, but not that well. And so he makes it like a, a six-foot card on Valentine's Day, and he carries it up to her office in front of all of her colleagues. Uh, she, she's not known for murder, but she could have been known for murder that day. She's like, what are you... I, and it, who is that? I don't know. You know, she denied it. And, and he did all these boneheaded things. And finally, he's dialed it in to figure out, okay, what, you know, what's going to work with her? Um, you want to be, you want to be familiar with what is going on in the world around me. How do I reach it on its terms? What is God doing that I can be a part of? This is part of wandering and wondering. It's how we perceive the truth of our lives from the facts of our lives. You know, facts aren't the same thing as the truth of your life. Brene Brown's been brilliant at helping us sort this out. The facts as they are don't tell you the truth necessarily. Facts can conceal truth or facts can reveal truth. The context is really important. To put the, the facts in context uh, is super important. A guy walks into a bar. The bartender takes a look at him, pulls a gun out from under the counter, and, and points it at him. The guy says, thank you, and he walks out. Those are the facts. What do you make of them? That's a nutty story. That's what I make of them. Well, the guy was walking down the street with the hiccups. He couldn't stop hiccuping. He realized, I need to get a drink of water, and, and maybe that'll help my hiccups. He walks into the first place that maybe had water. It's a bar. He walks into the bar. He's hiccuping so badly, the bartender realized, this guy needs a shock. And so when a guy comes up and asks for a glass of water, he pulls out a gun instead. The guy shocked, is shocked, stops hiccuping, and then thanks the guy and keeps walking, right? We can give you a hundred of those kinds of stories where the facts don't tell you anything until the context reveals what the facts mean. And so uh, going back to this idea of observation, uh, maybe you know the name Louis, uh, Louis Agassiz. Uh, Louis Agassiz uh, was a professor at Harvard 
He was a Swiss guy. Uh, he was kind of the father of modern natural history and paleontology. Lived at the, uh, the middle end of the 19th century. And he was, he was a genius. We wouldn't have you know, the programs we have in universities with a guy without Louis Agassiz and then the physicists that followed him. And so a young man named Samuel Scudder was honored to get to go to Harvard and, and study with Louis Agassiz. And so he's so excited and he, he shows up and uh, he says, well, um, I really want to study with you and thank you for taking me on. He says, great. When do you want to start? And he said, now. He said, perfect. And <laughs> Agassiz goes into this area and pulls out a fish and puts it in front of me. He says, hey, listen, I'll be back um, after lunch. I'll take a look at the fish while I'm gone. And he said, that's three hours from now. After five minutes, he's seen everything he thinks he knows to see in this fish. And so Agassiz, um, it's lunchtime, so the guy goes off looking for Agassiz. Oh, he left the building. He'll be back soon. So he's like, oh, now what do I do? So he goes back, and he's kind of going to use it, and look at the fish. And then Agassiz finally comes back late in the day, and he said, hey, how's it going with the fish? He goes, oh, well, here's what I discovered. And Agassiz is, says, that's it? No, no, keep going. He spends three days doing this. Eventually, he becomes so absorbed in it, he starts to see patterns he'd never noticed before. He started to see the connections in, in the parts of the fish. He started to understand the fish on its own terms. When Agassiz finally came back in, he said, so, tell me about your fish. And the guy couldn't stop talking about the fish. Agassiz did this with a series of students. Every one of the students who came in left transformed because he taught them how to see and to listen. One of those guys was a man named David Starr Jordan the founding president of Stanford University. And I could tell you stories of all those other young men and eventually women who had that experience of the sheer challenge of paying attention, consciously, intentionally looking at something until they really learn how to see it. You meet that girl of your dreams. As I started to tell you about my friend who did all the boneheaded things. And once he married her, he was so excited to pay attention to her. And he got really busy in his career, a fantastic career. And, and, and he loved her the whole time. He realized, hey, wait a minute. I am on the plane always setting up these other offices, legal offices, and doing all this stuff. And so a couple things changed. He said, you know what? I married this woman because I absolutely love her. And, and I want to keep loving her. And I want her to keep loving me. So he made this, this choice. He would never fly anywhere for a meeting that he couldn't fly back the same day. I've known him to fly to London and fly back the next day, the fastest way he can get back home. Why? Because he's trying to focus on his wife and his kids, and he knows that his career takes him all over the place. He doesn't want it to take away from them. He's wandering, but he's wondering about what he can do to love his family, even as he takes care of his clients. So it's essential that we take time to engage in exploration and wonder about who we are in Christ. So let's look at this from a biblical perspective. Jesus said, come to me, follow me, learn from me, trust in me, bear fruit in me. Do you see a theme there? It all has to do with Jesus. Otherwise, I'm just going to follow something, follow people, follow my heart, follow whatever. I'm going to learn stuff. I'm going to trust in all kinds of people. Maybe I shouldn't. I may bear some modicum of fruit. But unless it's in Christ, as he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That sounds sort of cynical and negative. Not really a big motivational talk at that point. But what he's saying, uh, what he said, you know, if I'm the vine and you're the branches, the life is in me that allows you to bear fruit as you're connected to me. He didn't say you should be more religious, you should attend church, you should buy a Bible and place it on a shelf and forget where you put it. He's saying, come to me, learn from me, walk with me, pay attention to me. Trust in me, and you will bear fruit in me. So you like to think at the end of, 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 of the biggest discovery of their life, a scientist would look up and say, Lord, thank you, thank you, thank you. The person investing money, and they didn't know quite if it was going to, well or not it would work, and it turns out right, or creating a company, and people saying, this is the greatest place I've ever worked. And, and hearing that, they'd walk away going, I'm awesome. Or they'd walk away saying, Lord, you are awesome, thank you. I never thought I'd be able to pull it off. This is the power that we're talking about. See, what we are becoming in Christ frees us to connect, to imagine, to daydream, to ponder, to pray, to reflect, to remember, to commit to bearing the image of God. Let me remind you where this comes from. This is Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule, rule, have responsibility for the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, 
over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God made mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now Jesus personifies and embodies this, and he shows us that it's about servant leadership. He told his disciples this, Hey, the leaders you know about, they want the power, they want the prestige, they like pulling their weight and pushing their weight around and pulling people here and there. I'm here to tell you that I've come to serve. This is the kind of leader that rules the world. This is the kind of person that fulfills Genesis 21, to, uh, 26 to 28. Now here's why this is central to identity as the image bearers of God. Paul picks this up um, in Colossians, his letter to the Colossians. But you can see this is a theme throughout Paul. He says, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. What's the result of wandering and wondering in the Lord? You are fully mature. You're fully developed. There's no distinction between your inner life and outer life. There's no false self being masked by the self that you project. It's a congruent self. You're not just a doer or a beer. You're a being-doer or a thinker-a-feeler or an intuitor-sensate. You're all of that combined beautifully. You're not a number on the Enneagram anymore. You're all the numbers of the Enneagram by the time you're transformed by Christ. What number was Jesus on the Enneagram? Uh, Let me think. One through nine? Yeah, it would work. What was Jesus on Myers-Briggs? What is Jesus on Berkman? What is Jesus on... Take any of the wonderful assessments out there that I hope you take advantage of. And Jesus is the full embodiment of that. Why he's fully developed. He's fully mature. That's the process that we're in as we wander and wonder. We can't get engaged in that process until and unless we wander and wonder. This is our primary identity. Nothing else supersedes this. This wonderful, beautiful couple with the most smart, intelligent, fantastic baby ever born. Their highest calling is not to love and care for that baby. That's the penultimate. That's the next one. Their highest calling is to know and love Christ so they can love and know that baby. So they they can know how to invest billions of dollars in private equity. So they can know how to guide, consult with companies and people trying to make good decisions that affect tens of thousands of people. Uh, I ran into a friend, uh, I was at Vons, I'm checking out, and all of a sudden I feel his tug. I'm like, hey, I see this friend a few weeks ago. He's on his way, moving his company from Chicago to, to Texas, and he's got 120,000 employees. Can you imagine the moving vans that looks like? It's a caravan, right? Thankfully, they're all over the world, so they don't have to move there. But we talked a little bit. I said, okay, how's it going? Are you excited? He goes, yeah, it's really exciting. Scary, but exciting. Now, see, what this guy does is he starts the day by saying, Lord, help me know how to do what you've called me to do. Help me to honor and glorify you so I can bless people. Would you call him a religious man? You could. I just would call him what he really is. He's an alive in Christ man. So God's glory is his goodness, his righteousness, his justice, his love, his faithfulness. God's glory is him. It's him. He's majestic. He's glorious. He's magnificent. We run out of words to describe it. But what we know is that when, when we talk about these terms, we're not talking about abstract concepts. We're talking about the things he does. Let there be light. Light. He takes dust and forms it and creates things. Among those things he formed out of dust, he breathed life into. That's us. And so it's why we proclaim Jesus is a light and a life of the world. He brings God's glory with him. Now we think immediately of glory as, yeah, another thing about me you ought to know. It's self-aggrandizement. But what we're talking about with God's glory is that God's glory transforms everybody who's touched by it. I never felt more alive until I was in his presence. You've probably sat at dinner parties or meetings where you walked away from one person that you sat next to and said, 
that was the smartest person I've ever met. I was very impressed, a little intimidated. And you've walked away from those situations, and somebody said, how'd it go? And you go, that person made me feel so smart. They just so, somehow drew me out and drew me into this conversation. And they've forgotten more than I'll ever know. And yet, somehow, we were having a conversation. We were building a conversation together. No script, just being together. See the power in that? That's what we're talking about. The glory of God creates things like that. We start by saying, he's glorified and glorious. And then we realize, I'm somehow caught up in this and being transformed by it. It's changing who I am. And in response to the glory of God, we embody our truest identity and purpose. And again, uh, even after the fall, the people of God understood this, and they wanted to hold on to it, because they saw that God was taking the initiative, initiative to make things right. And they didn't want to lose what was said in Genesis 1, 26 to 28. And God wanted to have a, a bridge so that Paul could say what he said in Colossians. And so Psalm 8 captures this for us. We read it a couple weeks ago. I want to ask you to read it with me. Um, because it captures this whole idea of, of us being set free and commanded and sent out and commissioned to wander and wonder about the things of God as we bear His image. So would you join me in reading this? Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You've made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds, and the animals of the wild, the birds in the sky, and the fish in the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You sound like a bunch of image bearers. You sound like people who are convinced that you are created in the image of God to do the work of God in you and through you as you wander and you wonder. Jesus is giving you full access in participating in the wonders of God. That's the gospel's impact, the, not the, the, the impact of this good news, the euangelion. If you go to the Berlin Museum, there's a plaque um, the Prion plaque, and it came out of a, a town in, um, in Turkey. Uh, it was, uh, uh, it, it was uh, from the 4th century, 9th century B.C. And what it says is, basically, I'm paraphrasing it now, you know, God has given us a son. His name is Augustus Caesar. He's the savior of the world. He is the Lord. Uh, the world will come together through him. It's all going to be right. It's all going to be good because of him. And, and it says, this is the good news. This is the euangelion about Augustus, Augustus Caesar. And that's the exact word that Paul used as gospel. He said, you know what the euangelion is? That Jesus is Lord. Do you know who the Savior is? Jesus is the Savior. Do you know who the real Son of God is? Jesus is the Son of God. You know, this term, uh, the Son of God, uh, and, and then the implications that your Lord, Kyrie, is one form of the word, Kyrie, uh, becomes Caesar. Kyrie becomes Caesar, becomes Kaiser. You see where this goes? This idea of lordship. There's one Lord, there's one gospel. There's one salvation. It's in Christ. He's giving us full access to participating in the wonders of God. It's how we stay in touch with his personal and powerful life-giving presence in our life and in the world as we walk through it. Otherwise, we drift into superficiality, boredom, cynicism, and despair. At least I do. 
The more affluent we get, the more smart we get, the more education and power and influence we get, I tell you what, we become more superficial, more bored, more cynical, and more despairing. Why? Because we say, this is it? This is it? There's got to be more than this. It's good. I don't want to give it up. It's better than the alternative, but this is it? Yes, until you know Christ. And then you go, oh, this is it. That's it. All this is good. This is what makes it glorious. Embrace your life as a call from God to wander and wonder. Walk through the house or the apartment you already live in and just pay attention to it. Walk through the neighborhood and say, God, show me how to see it through your eyes. Every time you see somebody in your family, somebody you work with, start asking, Lord, I wonder, what are you doing in them? How can you use me to encourage them in that process? You start thinking about wandering. Now you're moving through Costco with a whole new sense of, you know, I just don't need a 12-pack or a 50-pack. I'm saying, Lord, who are all these people? Help me understand what you're doing in this community, et cetera, et cetera. So what does that mean at this season in your life? Be intentional. Make a plan. Ask for help. If you, if you feel like, well, I can't do that. You, wait, I'm sorry. You can't ask for help? Well, I could ask for help. It's just embarrassing. and I, well, So get over your embarrassment. Uh, let me go back to the first list. Superficial, bored, cynical, despairing. You okay there? Then don't ask for help because you've got it nailed. You've nailed it. Or if you think there's a way to move into something different, you could have lived a phenomenal life, and now you're at a stage in life, you're going, I don't know, all of a sudden it's just not working for me. It's okay, it's just, I don't know. Well, that's the point where you say, oh, Lord, I think you're giving me a prompt that there's something you want to do in me. This is why meditating on Scripture, why prayer, why having, being a part of community and, and connecting to a ministry is so powerful in our ongoing transformation. It moves us from conceptual to operational, from abstract to concrete. It unites belief with behavior. You see, bearing God's image means we have something to do. We have someone to love. We have something to hope for. Remember, there are no ordinary days or ordinary lives. They're all filled with the wonders of God. If God is in you, if you've accepted Jesus as your Savior and your Lord, the wonders of God are available to you. They're inhabiting you. And for you to be actively engaged in that, it's the best part of this season of your life. So Lord, this is my prayer. You'd show us how to wander and wonder purposefully, intelligently, consciously, intentionally, deliberately, open to what you want to surprise us with about what's in us or what's not in us. To surprise us about what you're doing in people that we see every day but don't think much about in terms of what you might be doing in them in the world that we could easily ride off or hide from or try to fight. But Lord, you're doing something that we can actually be constructively part of. Lord, this is so big, it's bigger than any of us, but you've given us a community for support and guidance. You've given us your Holy Spirit to empower us in this process. You've given us the, the call to be humble and open and receptive to your powerful work within us. We pray, Lord, that we could be that person and together we could be those people in our friendships, in our marriages, in our families, in this church, in the community. We pray all this for this, every church in this community and around the world. We pray all this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, let's wrap up worship. Uh, this is your time to give you to you. Uh, offering, you can give offerings as you walk out. There's a little box there. You can, you can mail it in, send it in. However you want to support the church financially, we appreciate that. It's necessary for us to do what we do. But this is the offering of you to God. So as we finish up in worship, let the song move you in ways to hold up uh, your hands if you want and open up your heart. Uh, you can sit quietly and bow your head, however it works for you physically. But, but this is the time to offer you to God, wherever you are in his presence right now. What a beautiful name it is. What a beautiful name it is.
Jesus that we gather to worship. It's in the name of, in the name of Jesus that we go out. Um, the service wasn't here. This was the worship time. The service begins when we leave and go out in his name. And if we can pray for you for anything that might concern you or that you're concerned about, go right out around the corner to that lovely prayer garden and there'll be some people there who will be glad to pray with you. You don't even have to tell them what you want prayer for, but if you want to say specifically, they'll incorporate that into how they pray for you. Please stop and have a light brunch with us uh, out in the patio. It's great food. And then come back at 11 
Uh, we, we're going to wrap up, have our final conversations session of the summer. It's really going to be fun. Uh, we do that for about 45 minutes. So in the meantime, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord who loves you more than you can ask or imagine give you everything you need to walk in newness and fullness of life with him, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.